podcast has bad words. <laughs> well, here we are once again with TK Coleman. What's up, patrons? Thank you so much. You know, Ryan, virtue signaling, it's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> it's funny because it doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah I, I, the, we we kind of touched on this uh briefly in the minimal episode but now that we can we can be a lot more candid here i there's this thing about virtue signaling here's the thing i don't think virtue signaling is all bad i think right. we we what? signal what we want all the time i think we virtue right? signal for a living actually <laughs> with the minimalist in yeah, a lot of ways sure i mean we, like the whole minimal maximum the whole minimal maximum's website or, is or do we signal virtuously Ooh. and and maybe there's a, some sort of distinction there i don't think it's merely a semantic one but i also think righteousness is highly overrated i think we could probably yes. talk about that um but and maybe it depends on what we mean by by righteousness well but, it's interesting when i hear virtue signaling i think self-righteous and that's yeah yes and i I don't think we're self-righteous i I try not to be in fact i I was talking to um uh, one of our agents the other day about this podcasting space and Mm -hmm. and they were like oh you can get so much more money if you just read ads and do this i'm like no i said but i want to be clear i'm not being just pious here and saying i'm not on some high horse like and that we won't do advertisers because we hate money. I don't hate money. No. Uh, we just got to live with ourselves. R- yes. <laughs> and and I, what I realized before, when I put money first, it was hard for me to live with myself. Yeah. I also don't pretend, TK, that money isn't part of the equation here. But I also want to avoid being self-righteous. And I think that's what we mean quite often when we talk about virtue signaling. People are... Uh, they see a popular opinion and they conform to that opinion as opposed to saying, well, that is a good opinion because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, TK? <laughs> <laughs> Baby, you just got to love people and use things. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Next question. <laughs> Maybe my mama told me a long time ago, (laughs) love people and use things. Mm, Amen. (laughs) You got to say thanks. It can't be (laughs) use things. Uh, (laughs) We were recording lessons now, and Matt Diavello was like, Ryan, can you please stop saying things? Yeah. (laughs) Can you just say it normally? I'm like, that's how I say it. He does say things. He says things with an A. Right. And and that's how I say it. He's like, say things. And that's how, that that doesn't sound right. sounds wrong when you say it like that. (laughs) Love people use things. It's like a robot. Stop virtue signaling. <laughs> Let's talk about virtue signaling, TK. Uh, right. I love that signal virtuously. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that people are criticizing when they talk about virtue signaling is is this idea of, um, uh, I'll call it, you know, morality by default or morality at someone else's ex- expense, right? If you see someone doing something bad or that's easily criti- criticizable, you can go on social media and with very little cost, you can say, hey, I'm one of the good guys because I'm you know, criticizing that person. Mm. And while it's really important that we call out things that are bad, it's also important that we understand that there is a difference in cost, a difference in investment between saying, hey, I'm having the right emotional experience about all the bad things that are happening versus saying, hey, 
here's how I'm doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Here's how I'm committing myself to the cause of making this world better. Here's how I'm being transparent. Here's how I'm defining success so that you can measure my efforts to know if I'm falling short or not, or to be able to give me constructive criticism on how I can improve. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to signal things that are good. Signaling is a part of life, right? We signal love. We signal support. We signal empathy. I mean, that's what body language is in so many ways. When we're listening to someone, it's not good enough to just hear them. It's not good enough to just listen intentively. Part of it is signaling to them that I hear you, right? And so that's a good thing, but I think I think where virtue signaling is criticized, it's criticized because there's a, a glaring lack of investment. Social media has made it really cheap for us to simply put up a picture of ourselves, put up a name, and then become champions of causes that we would never devote mm. a single dollar or ounce of energy to in the physical world. So it's not just lack of investment, it's lack of congruity as well, right? Because if you're saying, well, I would never actually contribute to that cause, but... I'm going to retweet about it because that's easy. Now, maybe you could you could actually make the argument that's better than doing nothing theoretically, especially if it gets someone else to act. If you have a, a giant platform and a million people follow and you retweet it, that's probably a better thing than you doing nothing. Uh, and so maybe to some extent there is some actual virtue in virtue. There's like accidental virtue in it, hmm. but it, it can still be completely incongruous. And I think that's why it turns us off because I think as human beings, we value congruity and integrity uh, more than we, we, we value the cause even. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's another thing too. So I agree with you that maybe retweeting um, – something that calls somebody out for doing something bad, maybe that's better than nothing. I think I agree with you on that. But why is there still a a reaction to a lot of people who do that? I I think one of the reasons we see that reaction is because someone who may not even have a history of ever caring about that thing may choose to exploit it as an opportunity to bring attention to themselves for no other reason than that it's now popular and acceptable to cry or complain about this particular thing. And and, and I say that not because, you know, I find myself being triggered or annoyed when people virtue signaling. I I control my own experience. So if if I'm not pleased with what I'm looking at on the Internet, I turn my eyes in a different direction and I look at something that pleases me. But I think in terms of understanding a lot of people. But it's that that, that's getting harder and harder to do. Right. No, I don't think it's getting harder. Let me explain why I think it's getting harder. I I think there's actually some data behind this. So before, if, if you were reading this book, Everything That Remains. And you read this passage and you're like, I can't believe that he said, you know, whatever. Um, uh, We hold on to stuff for too long. I can't believe that. You could set it down and and walk away from it. Uh, There are major corporations Mm -hmm. who employ very talented demographers, statisticians, psychologists, whose main goal is to aggregate your eyeballs onto their service product and or service and 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 thus lead you to other products and services that are lucrative to them and and there is some manipulation involved in doing that it's why social media is much more addictive than books in fact the the founder of one of the founders of instagram initially called instagram visual crack hmm. Now, yeah. we, we know what we think about crack as being one of the most addictive substances on earth. There was a whole a- epidemic yeah. in the 1980s because you had this drug that was relatively addictive, but yeah. nothing like crack. 
and and all of a sudden now everyone is hooked on it and we've seen we've mm. seen mm. this new sort of visual crack a- epidemic in yeah. a way the last decade the the teens were this decade of adaptation for us and i think most of us weren't prepared for the bombardment of our mm. attention what i heard you're exactly right what i heard tk say though was that cuz he can go, he can divert his eyes to something he wants to look at mm-hmm. so it's like you're moving from I don't know you're choosing your flavor of crack I don't know I mean like if we're going with that if we're going with that yeah so to your point yes it's harder to look away from social media but to your point TK I think it is easy I think it is easy to be like oh this is upsetting me this is making me angry I can go I don't I don't I can can go to something that I do it all the time I I, I, I can follow people that I that I enjoy listening to Mm -hmm. I look at less and less media less and less news these days but you you, okay that that's fine you and TK then are (laughs) are, the exceptions are the exceptions not the rule you do tend to be exceptions here like and and by the way I think you're both I I mean this literally I think you're both exceptional human beings but but I, I I think most people I mean and I get caught up in this certainly that we are more attracted to the outrage. It's when when you see the yeah. the George Floyd stuff, and I almost f- found myself commenting to people. Mm. And now I have a policy where I don't engage in that kind of thing. Now I've probably broken that policy once or twice in the last year. Yeah. I think I've um, made it you with a few like Utah Jazz references before. <laughs> <laughs> those are the two times that I right. got upset. And this isn't a knockabout. I had to block him twice on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he started using the the what do they call them, bogey accounts. <laughs> Uh, I don't think this is a knock either, what you're saying, Josh, against people who do decide to say something. It's just that I'm with you. Like, I, I don't want to engage in anything divisive, I guess. No, um, I'm not knocking those people. I'm saying these platforms are created to, and if not create, let me let me take that back because I think that's, that's incorrect. I want to be very specific here. I want to be precise with the language that I'm using. I don't think they were created to be divisive. I no. think they, they're capitalizing on divisiveness. Oh, yeah. yeah. And... And you know we're starting to see some changes. Even the, the president is talking about you know making oh changes, and um, and I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I part of me wants to say, yeah, maybe the platforms shouldn't be able to. to it's to a private entity. People. They should yeah. be able to do whatever they want. I I, I agree with that. Um, but you know, if we're talking about why should they be able to do whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there's another argument to. I mean, obviously the founding fathers didn't anticipate like. Well, you know, your freedom of speech on Twitter, like the, the, yeah, the, it, yeah, it, it just it, it blows my mind that people get mad about like, oh, this private entity is gonna is gonna do something, they're gonna enact a policy, and it's not in my favor, so now I'm gonna change laws because I mean that is uh, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, but okay, let me play white devil's advocate for a moment. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, at some point, do they become a public utility? Because the electric company wasn't always a public utility mm-hmm. and and at some point we we decided well it, it is now a a, a public utility yeah, right you're not paying you're not paying for social media though what you're do not, you mean like to use it you're not paying of course you are with with maybe your time right i mean but, but there's but you and i always talk about the the true cost of a thing goes way beyond <clears throat> the price tag uh, totally but i but what you the uh, the analogy you're using of a utility like that is a service that people are paying for monthly 
that needs that needed to be regulated. Well, it depends. It, water is they don't charge for water in every municipality, but it's still it's mm-hmm. still a it's still a a, a public. Well, some, somebody's paying for it. Like maybe you're not paying for it, but your building is so, paying so, for it. Someone's no. I'm saying certain municipalities, certain mm-hmm. cities, or, or townships. Yeah, you know, the, the the government yeah know, pays so, for it. So any media company you're saying, like media companies in general. Well, I'm saying social media in particular, mm. but maybe let, let's just talk about Twitter for a second. Uh, one could make the argument. TK would not agree with this argument because he doesn't think anything should be a a public uh, a good in this in this respect. So um, he's feeding that. <laughs> he's setting me up, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Just so you know, TK hates all of your favorite politicians. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, to be fair, I hate them all too. <laughs> hey, what's your favorite law? TK hates that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to say mm. that um, maybe there is a point where it does become a, a public utility. I, I don't know. I mean, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I'm saying I can actually, I, I can see the argument for it. Um, anyway, I think I've derailed us. I don't want to go too far down down that path. I do, I do want to acknowledge uh, your position because I, I immediately was like, no, that's not true. Yeah. And, and 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 you 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 broke out the data, and I want to let you know that I, I agree with what you said about the wh- whether it's conscious or not, intentional or not. Um, we're certainly seeing a, a good deal of what could be called manipulation, mm-hmm. or at least we're seeing a lot of the same elements of addiction that we observe in drugs with mm-hmm. social media. I, I believe that. <clears throat> Things like Instagram are visual crack. That's not the same as me saying, well, well, you know, that means we need to shut it down. There are a lot of different theories about what we should do about it, but no doubt about it, man. Like social media is, uh, it's very addictive. I, I think it was Novel who said that the modern devil is is uh, cheap dopamine, mm. right? That dopamine is more readily accessible than it's ever been before. You at least had to work for your dopamine hits, yeah. right? you know, in earlier generations. Now, low costs, you know, lightning speed. Yeah, you can get a dopamine. As soon as hit. you wake up, mm-hmm. dopamine. Yeah, hit. yeah, yeah. Whether that's whether that's disagreeing with Beyonce about something that she said and being able to publicly criticize her and and feel like she's gonna read that, mm-hmm. or you know, just saying something that triggers someone else or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, like the dopamine is is available and it does Ooh. get addicting. And going I, back I agree to virtual sig- signaling, that in itself could be a dopamine hit that people are chasing instead yeah. of like. Because for me, virtue signaling, it's the intent. Are you doing something so you can be like, look at me, look yes. at the stance that I take? And that's when you said self-righteous. That, I think that's yeah. what you Yeah, meant. yeah. And I, th- I, think, I think that is synonymous with self-righteous. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I've seen it uh, with people where they get self-righteous and you can see... You can see the dopamine hitting them, like, "Oh, I'm right," and yeah, yeah and I'm going to continue to be right, and yeah, 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 and 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 when when people do that, um, it's there's a, a certain amount of insecurity in it. I feel like because it's not here's my opinion. Let me argue my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's uh, here are these other people adjacent to me who are also outraged, yeah. and I fear their wrath. So I better conform to them, and the best way for me to conform to them is yell as loudly as as they are. You know, it, it could mean quite literally joining the riot, yeah, or it could mean joining the Twitter riot, yeah. right? Yeah. But today, Jordan at Jordan No More tweeted, uh, "Twitter is a war zone," and it does feel like that right now if yeah. you follow the wrong stuff. Uh, for me, Twitter's always been a, a place of solace and calm. I follow like city planners. And like urbanists, and comedians, yeah, and comedians, <laughs> and and, and um, 
we were talking about this. You'll like this, um, and I, w- I would only talk about this with the Patreon audience. We talked about it already. With uh, we had Kim Iverson on the, the podcast. You know Kim? I don't know. She's Kim. like a political commentator. She's great. Um, don't agree with her on everything, uh, but uh, we were talking about this next election, and you know, she's like a, a pretty far left progressive. Yeah. But she was like, yeah, I. I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump, obviously, but I'm also not go- going to... She had the T.K. Coleman stance on this, although she would have voted for plenty of other people, but I can't vote, see myself voting for Joe Biden either. And comedian, the reason I follow comedians is they, they sum it up in uh, these like pithy ways that you... you it's Kafka who said that, that life's most difficult problems can be answered only through jokes. Mm. And when, when when Drew Michael said, um, "Do you do you want to vote for the guy who rapes with his hand or with his dick? Choose one." Like that's mm. what it. That's what this election felt like. Now, right. I'm going to say allegedly for for both of them, obviously, um, but. It, it did feel like it, it at least illustrated, you know, you don't have to say allegedly in a joke either. It It's clearly a joke. But, like, it, it felt like it illustrated the absurdity of the choices yeah. that were often mm-hmm. given through our politics. Yeah. yeah. Josh, I'm going to need you to tone down the humor a little bit. <laughs> we're getting a note from our... Uh, our we're going to call uh, Procter & Gamble, right? <laughs> uh, I think we just received a text message from Chase Bank <laughs> saying that you need to tone it down on the uh, comedy references. <laughs> Our stock just went down. <laughs> well, I guess I shouldn't light up this joint in my pocket. <laughs> TK, let me, let me talk about this. I, I, there's a piece of me uh, with this whole pandemic when it started. Um, I feel like I kind of, this is what Ryan and I wanted. Like you start seeing a lot of these places going out of business. Mm. Now, let me let me be clear about this. Um, That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Joshua yeah. wants your favorite. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. We'll see you later. To go out of business. <laughs> well, let me, so you see like JCPenney and, and J. Crew. I'm, and by the way, I'm not saying these are, are bad businesses or bad people no, or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the, the, the just the list of all these retailers and, yeah. and consumer brands and, and all of these, these things. Um, I wanted it to happen over a generation, not over a month. Right. And what here's what I mean by that. Like I wanted to see changes in consumption. I wanted to see a place like J, a JCPenney go out of business because we changed our consumption yeah, habits we so We chose much. differently. Yeah. This was not a choice. It was not a choice. And right. that that's the biggest difference. So like... In a weird way, I feel like I'm getting the outcome I wanted, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it, it's like like uh, you find out like Mariah's staying with you because like of your money or something. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, well, I'm getting the outcome that I want, but right. that's not the reason I, I that we're together, right? Right, right? right. By the way, I don't have that much money, Mariah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that's why you gotta love people and use things, <laughs> man. Love people and use things. It all, all comes back to that. I'm bringing this up because now we have these these uh, protests that have led to riots. Yeah. And like, piece of me is like, I kind of wanted some some anarchy. And this is with our Patreon audience, so we can. You are a bit of an anarchist <laughs> yourself. And and while you might reject the label because anarchists actually reject labels as well. Um, uh, there's a piece of you that wants this, but not through these means. Yeah. So uh, as far as the clarification of my anarchist position, um, there, there's a cool uh, conversation online between Carl Hess and uh, Robert Anton Wilson. It's called um, Subversion for Fun and Profit. 
and um, it's about like an hour and a half discussion. And in that discussion, Robert Anton Wilson says, I I allow people to call me a libertarian, and that's because most people don't know what anarchist means. And I, I think mm-hmm. my position is something like that. I, I prefer to use the term voluntarist, but you know, anarchist doesn't mean no rules, just means no rulers. It doesn't um, mean chaos either, and that's where I think that's mean, the biggest confusion. Right, right. It doesn't mean chaos. You know, anarchists believe in order. Anarchists believe in organization. Anarchists believe believe in community and all those sorts of things. Um, anar- anarchists just reject the idea. That, that it is right for one group, one individual or group of individuals to do what it is not right for everyone else to do. That no one should have a monopoly on violence. That, mm. that's, that that's what creates the space for the best kind of society. So in that sense, yeah. But there are some people who've kind of ruined the name because they, they wear that label of anarchists and it has nothing to do with the rich political tradition of right. anarchy. They're more and Discordians it, than yeah, anarchists. Yeah. Yeah. We're just gonna like, you know, like, flip over garbage cans and set things on fire and right. ruin the name of anarchy, you know? Um, hard not to be a conspiracy theorist about that, but that's another conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, but anyway, interesting, yeah. yeah. I never thought yeah. about that, but I could see it going that yeah, way. But, yeah. but so, so to a certain extent, um, this is anarchy to, to, I mean, at its terminus. Mm. Uh, I, I would say it's Discordian. Okay. I mean, because, I mean, to, to, to TK's point, like, the, the you're talking about the riots, right? Yeah, 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 but but I'm saying that that they're trying to cause enough discordance. Mm-hmm. They're they're just they're they're just worried about creating chaos. Right, but but who who chaos against whom? The against, government against anything and everyone. It doesn't matter against corporations against the government. Against, well, so against power, right? Yes, uh, against, against authority. I, yes. I think it's unharnessed rage, uh, uh, unharnessed rage. I, I I don't even think it's that undebatably clear. That, that, that it's focused around power or focused around government or focused around large corporations. I, I think the essence of a yeah. riot yeah. Is, is that there is no monolithic agenda, right? Mm. That, that, that there is no chief of the riot that says, here's who we're mad at and here's what the end result is. That's what makes it hard to control because if you knew that, you could just control the chief. Mm-hmm. And even if there was no chief, if there was a common agenda, you could just get out the megaphone and be like, all right, all right, we're sorry. We're gonna have a meeting tomorrow at 10 a.m. to right. discuss, but but you don't know what the heck's going on in that riot. There are so many different people. Some people in that riot are just looters looking for a good opportunity to get in on something and hide. Mm-hmm. Some people on that riot are are discreditors who want to come in and make things even worse in order to discredit the conversation that gave rise to the riot. Mm-hmm. Some people in that riot are just hurt, angry, and mad, and they're take. Some people are in that riot are trying to stop the people from rioting. Mm, you yeah. see all of those things in every riot. Yeah, right, you know? it's, a, it's a microcosm of, of society in a way. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so let me ask you, you mentioned something there about, well, it seems to me that the, the chief problem with an organization like Black Lives Matter is it does lack a, a sort of cohesion. There is not a, a set of principles. We saw this with... with um, Occupy Wall Street, especially. Right. Uh, we saw, we, we see it to, to a great extent with uh, organizations. I, I say, I don't even say, it's weird for me to even say organization, right? Like, um, like Antifa, right? Black Lives Matter may have started as some sort of organization with maybe a few sort of loose uh, ideas about what needs to be done, but now I see it, you know, someone destroying a target and writing black lives matter on the side of it um well that that to me seems to 
to by someone who isn't necessarily an advocate of that's black what i'm saying that's exactly what i'm saying and and, and, and so like, it'd be like if they wrote less is more on the side of <laughs> right of it, and they'd be like see the minimalist it's their fault but right? is, is black lives matter is that uh didn't that just start out as like it was a hashtag it was a movement it wasn't really a group it, who it, got it, together it was a similar dynamic to me too right like it, it started as a, as an expressed conviction right yes. that black lives matter it, it, it didn't start out as like hey here's the president Here's the right. organization. Here are the the principles. Right. You know, like a, a a kind of philosophy and a culture built itself up around it or organically over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just started out as a way of saying, in response to the way we're seeing black bodies be weaponized, brutalized, and marginalized, it's important to say there's a silent two at the end of that statement, that black lives matter too. Mm-hmm. Yes. All lives matter, and since black lives is a kind of life, then black life matters too. So let's make Ooh. sure we we don't keep treating this one group like they're not part of the all, right? Yeah, that's, ex- yeah, yeah. that's exactly what black lives that matters is. It is black lives matters too, and I, yeah. I wish we could go back in time and change that to the movement, <clears throat> because that, to me like that would make because someone who doesn't what well, i don't even know where you guys stand on the black lives matter thing but that's what that's how i understand it it's like i agree that black lives matter <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go good. on the record here <laughs> good be good. a little be a little bit uh, uh good. i know that's uh, well that, no, I, I just hate when someone hears that and they're like oh that, i can't believe that all lives matter cop blue lives matter cop yeah, well, lives matter so, so here, here's the problem with, with that i think so and i i forget who i heard say this so i i'll give it credit to someone um but you you don't go to like you know you and I have been to like um, benefits for different charities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You, you don't go to uh, you, uh, a, a dinner that's like we're raising money for cancer and you get up on stage. But what about money for AIDS? Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. AIDS matters too. Yeah, right. You're like, what yeah. about impoverished people? We, we know right. that AIDS matters. This is a cancer benefit right. though. Why yeah. haven't I seen any of you guys crying at the AIDS rally? All disease matters. Right. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Right. No, no, no. Like we're not saying that. Other diseases don't matter. Right. We're here to talk about this one, and I think that uh, the 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 Black Lives Matter movement isn't a uh, well. It's certainly not well. Black lives are. It, it wasn't only Black Lives Matter, right? right? Although there are black some black people who can can certainly say that. And to me, that that is. But a, that only got attached to it. It's just, just, just instead of the a two, silent two yeah. at the end, yeah. right. and, and a silent only got put in front of it. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's my thing. I think no matter how you communicate yourself, it's always exceptionally easy to misunderstand if you don't put in the work necessary to understand it. And by the way, I don't think you have to work to understand people. But if you set yourself up as a critic right of people's ideas then it does behoove you to try to understand right yeah. it's okay for me to say man i don't feel like reading your book i'm just gonna go live my life that's mm-hmm. cool but if i'm gonna write an article or a tweet saying that your book is crap and i disagree with all your ideas at least i should have read it right and at least i should have put in the work to understand what it is right. you're saying and so a lot of people I love that. appointed themselves to be spokespersons and refuters of that statement without ever taking the time to ask any of the people who were using the statement, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Why are you using it? I'll give you an example I just experienced the other day. I, I wrote them on Facebook. Um, I wish I had my phone where I could read it, but I, I wrote, um, um, I never want to be colorblind for color is divine. I love my blackness and I want to teach others to love theirs too. Mm. And 
Everybody left me alone. You know, there are people that liked it, but for the most part, people left me alone. But then there was one white guy who came in the comments. I, I knew it was going to come eventually. Yeah. Because you always get one. It said, but would you be careful? Would you be okay if a white person said that too, though? Yeah. Right? Now, it's it, I, I have that same reaction, but not in a, not the same way he did, but I have the same reaction to be like, I understand where you're coming from, mainly because I, I know a lot of black people who have been at least marginally oppressed, yeah. and, and not and certainly not, no experience of slavery or anything like that, but 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 the remnants of it, um, and 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 for me, whiteness is so sort of, it's like when we were talking on the minimal, minimal episode, like there's this. Uh, there's certainly a spectrum of white people. That's what I meant by like I don't sure. I don't identify with most white people. Is really what I meant by that. Sure. It, I don't identify with most people. Sure. And and for me to say like it would it, it, not only would it be disingenuous of me if I said I love my white people. Like what if we that would it, it first off it sounds culturally weird. Mm-hmm. But like well, there's a connotation. There are two different connotations. But we also don't have a a a. A we haven't suffered a, a collective oppression, but, that, but that's right? exactly it. So like when TK re- makes that statement, there's a connotation there of like why that's important to make that statement. Where yeah. if a white person makes it makes it because we haven't had that history, like mm-hmm. it is a completely different connotation. And, right. and, and I, 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 I want to take it beyond just like, hey, if white people said it, there would be a different reaction. I I actually would make a more fundamental uh, statement, which is white people ain't even interested in saying that. Go ahead. If y'all want to say it, go ahead. But you guys aren't even going to feel inspired when you say it. I no. dare you to. Go ahead and look in the mirror right. and say, I thank God for my whiteness. Do you feel better? But some people do, do that. You, do you feel better? Or do you feel stupid? All my hair just right. falls out when I say that in the mirror. <laughs> Richard Spencer says that, though, right? right. And, yeah. Well, but, let, let me come to that really quickly, though. Yeah. So, so one of the things I said to this guy is I said, in, instead of shifting the focus to white people's right to say whatever they want to say, maybe we can use this as an opportunity to explore why many black people feel the need to say this in the first place. Mm -hmm. It is rather odd, isn't it, for someone to affirm the beauty of something as superficial as their skin color? That is quite odd. So why would it be the case Mm -hmm. that when many black people hear a statement like, I love my blackness, that they feel like that's a healing statement? That that they actually feel inspired? That's kind Mm -hmm. of odd. Why is that? We get some really interesting answers about the black experience if you respond with inquiry rather than interrogation, right? right? So it's not that hard to understand what people say, you just have to wait five seconds before you give that philosophical refutation that you've been holding on to. Mm-hmm. You just gotta wait a couple of minutes before you say, well, why you get to say it and I can't? It's not even about that. You get to say whatever you wanna say. Mm-hmm. The real question is, why are you not as interested in saying this as I am? Why is it that I said it and then you're you're on my post rather than you said it and I'm on your post, yeah. right? Like you're not inspired by these sorts of things. I am. Why is that? You know. Yeah. Um. And, and so I, I think, mm. I think sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of pausing and say, let's put our talking points on pause. Let's let's stop treating statements as if we are conceding political victory if we allow certain things to be said. And, yeah. and, and let's just be curious and see where that gets us. And let's also yeah. be okay with conceding political victory because ultimately, because what we're really talking about is partisan political victory, sure. not real politics, not the affairs of the people, because that's what politics means. Sure. But what we're talking about is partisan politics, red and blue, uh, Democrat, Republican politics. And, Coke or Pepsi. Right. And, <laughs> sure, and, sure. and so what we're really talking about is, I'm okay, I'll concede that. Yes, 
this particular viewpoint of mine might be considered favorable by the right. This other sure. viewpoint is favorable by the left. What does that make me? I don't know. Confused, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, confused yeah. that there's only two parties in a really weird, shitty system that serves up Coke and Pepsi every time, or now this time, you know, toilet water and sewage water, and like that's what I have to drink from? Um, okay. Um, I prefer toilet water to sewage wait, water, wait, I guess. Wait, which one's toilet water? And which one, I'm yeah, just... I think you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, and uh, and then I hear people that I really care about and that I really like and respect their viewpoints where, uh, uh, like Sam Harris. I love Sam Harris, he, but he has Trump derangement syndrome. And what I mean by that oh. is he, he's, he, he's like, I, I really think the, the accusations against Biden could be true and 10 more could come out and he'd still be a better candidate. Uh, he's he's more he's he's at a point where he's more worried about in. he's more worried about being right than he is uh, proving an actual point. Uh, wh- no, no, I don't think that. Hey, hey young lady. Hey, how's it going? Ella's here. Rebecca's here. Hi, They're delivering coffee to TK. I've heard lots of things about you. We're gonna take a quick break, y'all. Let's listen to a little bit of every little thing. Welcome back to WLES. That was Peter Doran <laughs> with every little thing. Uh, Ryan, we were talking about um, uh, we were talking about Sam Harris and here's the thing. I I, I don't want to get partisan political because yeah. I, I do realize that that um, first off it's a huge turnoff. I don't even want to hear partisan political things. What I, what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. um, regardless of, of where you are in the political spectrum, we can start to have these bits of derangement. Right. In, in our own lives that, that, and maybe derangement is too strong of a word maybe it's just like it's like night blindness mm. but it's political blindness yeah and and that's a problem that that i see quite often uh yeah tk you you uh, you have uh no blindness on either side it seems like your eyes are wide open on on these topics well some will say my eyes are wide shut Ooh. on these topics <laughs> you know um some will say i'm i'm doubly blind uh, but yeah, you better believe it, man. I love freedom no matter what direction it comes at me from. When I say I love freedom, I don't mean, you know, like I, I will only criticize you if you come against freedom from the left or from the center or from the right. Because I, I, I frankly think that's a lot of people wear that freedom philosophy label, but, mm-hmm. um, but they're only willing to criticize when, when uh, anti-freedom philosophy is being espoused from a particular direction. But I, I love freedom, man. And um, I, I love the possibilities of how much society can flourish uh, when we are not artificially insulating people from the consequences of their actions, when we assign people ownership of their choices, we don't protect people from competition, and we allow people to freely pursue the expiration of their potential, to freely try things out, to freely go after their dreams without claiming to know what's best for them. I absolutely love that. But to your point, to your point about partisan politics, something that I always talk about is I make a strong, hard distinction between truth and um, your political philosophy about what we need to do with that truth. And I don't think the truth is left or right. I don't think the truth is conservative or liberal. I don't think the truth is Republican or Democrat. The mm-hmm. truth is just the attribute of a proposition that corresponds to reality. You know, if I make a statement, you know, like, hey, Joshua has $10 billion in his bank account. 
either that's true mm. or it's not true. It's only you know, half right? that. Your Google says my net worth is $125 million. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, brother, we got to hang out. <laughs> which, which is over $124 million off. <laughs> yeah, over $124 million off. Yes. Man, tonight yeah. we got to love people that use some things <laughs> tonight. Let's <laughs> hang out, brother. $120 million. A lot of things we can use. Oh, no, but, um, but, you know, that, that to me that distinction is so vital because yeah like that example either it's true or it's not and 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 let's say it's true Let, let's say your net worth is what is it, 120 million 125 125 <laughs> i want to dock you five million man that's a lot of money i mean you know so one person can say well that means he ought to be obligated to give a certain amount to the poor mm-hmm. and everyone who takes that position can have disagreements about what percentage of your income ought to be allotted to the poor then there are some people who can say well what that means is he should be free to keep his money and do what he wants to do with it we can be free to disagree about what should be done with the truth. But that doesn't change what the truth is. And when we're too married to a particular philosophy of what ought to be done with truth, then that will cause us to deny certain things if if we think we're gonna have to do something with it that goes against the grain of our political party or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And I like to just say, let's just start with truth. And then we can have a separate political debate mm-hmm. about what we do with that. Your yeah. wife's parents have a, uh, a, a a lean one way or another and uh, partisan politics i asked this a question for a reason yeah I, I wouldn't say partisan politics but um because because they're not they're not partisan um in, in fact they're they're quite interesting because they would um especially her father be very critical of, of both like i i mean i think the last few elections he's He's criticized everybody as being unelectable, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so I mean, he's a pretty honest guy. He's a pretty straight shooter, mm-hmm. and he's the last guy I know to just endorse a guy because he's, you know, of a particular political party. But both of us, culturally speaking, come from very conservative cultures, mm-hmm. you know, which is different from you know conservative politics. That's but fascinating. Both of, yeah. When you say a conservative culture, I I, I often point this out to to people. Uh, Black culture is, in many ways, a very conservative culture. Black culture in America. Mm, that's um, interesting. And, and uh, especially socially conservative. At least the, the black culture in which I was raised adjacent to, right? Like, what do you mean? Um, there's a lot of religion in, in, mm. in black culture. Now, there's a lot of religion in America in general, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I, w- I would say even more so... Uh, among yeah, a, a lot of the the kids that I, I grew up with were raised by their grandparents as well, and so there was an even older generation yeah. of of conservatism in a way, right? Yeah, and and conservatism, not the problem when we use the term conservatism, it automatically becomes political. When I say conservative, right. I don't mean politically right, right, conservative. Right, right, right. I don't mean Mitch McConnell. Uh, because yeah, no one I grew up with would vote for Mitch McConnell. Sure. Um, but there are, are conservative elements where yeah. um, there was also yeah, there was quite a bit of, of homophobia in in the neighborhood I grew up in, and I was certainly raised with it, and and raised to believe like, well, that is is either wrong or strange or abnormal or or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know that I believed it, but that was almost a type of virtue signaling in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you're not going to be accepted if you if you believe, and I think the truth is, none of us really believed it, but it was part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Like I, 
I, I don't know any of my friends that I grew up with that really that disliked gay people. Yeah. yeah. But it was a, a strange part of the culture in a way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because when I, when I say I, you know, I grew up in, in, in a culturally conservative sense i mean exactly that in the sense of growing up in a very religious home where we were taught biblical morality a biblical worldview um you know what most would describe as evangelical christianity Hmm. that kind of thing um and you know even even down to the point where as a kid we couldn't listen to secular music, mm-hmm. we, we, but we had a whole smuggling industry built up around that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had gray markets in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't think I went to my first movie until uh, close to high school. And, and even then, I, you know, I had to sneak off to do that because even that you know, was, was, was too much. So I mean, it was pretty conservative in that regard. Yeah. You know, to your point about black culture though, it's interesting because I, I do think there's also a, a kind of like, anarchic rebellious strain in black culture that we see as well. Something that gets criticized a lot and just kind of gets dismissed as lawlessness or disrespect for authority. But anybody that understands the history of this nation and what, what allowed America to become a free society, it was a healthy mistrust of authority Mm -hmm. and it was a willingness to rebel against unjust laws. We have to make a distinction between legality and morality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What's, what's illegal is that which has been declared to be wrong by the state. It's Mm -hmm. something that you'll get fined for or imprisoned for. By this particular state, meaning either nation or literally the the state or city, uh, county in which we reside. And and, and what you're doing uh, one mile away, if you're near a a state border or country border, could could mean you're gonna spend your life behind bars if you're on the wrong side of that imaginary line. Absolutely, sometimes the difference between being legal and illegal, the difference between being a criminal and a, and a responsible citizen is where you are geographically located. Mm-hmm. Like right now, various countries and states and communities contradict themselves in terms of what is what is okay to do, um, in terms of the laws themselves. But, but morality refers to some higher principle of justice and virtue. And you know, throughout history, and every country has example of this, examples of this, there have been unjust laws. There have been immoral things that were legalized. You know, the, maybe the, maybe a good example of this would just be slavery, right? That that was illegal at one point in this country. And so, if your philosophy was just to obey the law, respect authority, mm. obey the law, you know, beat it in court, and and that was your attitude, you would have never gotten rid of that. But it it was rebelliousness. It was the willingness to make people uncomfortable that made those laws reflect the moral principles that they were supposed to uh, support in the first place. And so something that you see get black culture get criticized a lot, and I actually think it's one of the most beautiful aspects of black culture, there's a sense of, no, you gotta respect us as much as we gotta respect you. Mm -hmm. Whenever you see these encounters, for instance, with black people and police officers, there's, there's always this notion that you guys got to respect authority. You guys got to respect authority. Just respect authority and beat it in court. Now, I do believe as a tool for survival, if someone has a gun and a greater benefit of doubt than you do, mm-hmm. like if you know that in your interaction with someone that should you harm them, you're definitely going to jail. And should they harm you, most people are going to be like, well, what did TK do? He had to have done something. Right. If you know that's the situation you're in, out of out of self-interest alone, 
handle yourself accordingly. Just like you would on the street if, if some thug has a gun in your head, you try to talk and act in the way that's going to buy you some time to live. Yeah, you I, don't I, say you don't have the guts to pull that trigger. Exactly. So I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But at the same time, there's also a kind of naive, blind trust in authority that's very dangerous when you find yourself saying, oh, well, they must have done something wrong mm -hmm. because certainly the person with a certain title and a uniform would never lie, would never be duplicitous, would never be immoral, but there's nothing about your job, there's nothing about your form of employment or your title or your uniform that makes you more or less of a human being than anybody else. I believe that all human beings are capable of sin and evil. I believe that all human beings face temptation and there's nothing about you being a banker Mm -hmm. or you being a podcaster or you being a police officer or you being a judge that's going to make me go oh no they 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 probably handle everything right like no right. i want to know the whole story about everybody i don't want to just know the whole story about the dude that got shot i want to know the whole story about the dude that shot him i want to gather all the facts about everybody and in in black culture you see that attitude yeah. that rebelliousness and i think that's a beautiful thing and you know to bring politics into it i think I think there's a lot of underestimated political power in that, especially amongst those who are often criticizing black people for playing the victim card. I think there's something deeper than that, and that's a misunderstanding. Speaking of being rebellious, when you hear someone like, like Joe Biden, it doesn't have to be Joe Biden either. This could sure. be anyone who made a, a statement when he told Charlemagne, like, if you're having trouble choosing between me and Donald Trump, yeah. then you ain't black. Right. Um, now, <laughs> I, I imagine... That 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 actual statement comes up in in various ways, in even in the black community. You said you moved from West Side of Chicago to the suburbs, and that can even be if you go back to the West Side. Then all of a sudden, well, now you don't live here, so you ain't black. Or you you can you can you you there are different contexts for a. Um, a statement like this it, I, I, statement's the wrong word even it, it seems so I, I would make a distinction for when black people use that first I, I i don't think that's something that black people do to each other a lot the, you know hold it like you ain't black right i, 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 I definitely saw it growing up no it, it, it's definitely a reality it's definitely a reality but but here's what i think black people in general tend to mean by that usually when black people say something like you ain't black there's usually a sense of you must think you ain't black. You mm. must think that because you live with the white people over there, mm -hmm. or because you come from money, or because you don't live on the streets, you must have forgot that you black. You yeah. must think that because or just you because you left the neighborhood. Just because you left the neighborhood, right? Um, and sometimes that's directed at a real thing. Yes. So uppityness is also a thing in black communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is possible to be a black person and think you better than other black people. Because maybe you grew up in the, you grew up in the suburbs, or maybe you date somebody outside your race, or maybe you have more money, whatever, and now you think you're better. And if you go around black people talking to black people as if you are, you know, um, you know, some higher level of blackness, black people will quickly remind you of your blackness. And usually, that kind of statement is kind of like it's getting at that. It's a very nuanced thing. What Joe said was not nuanced at all. I just think it was completely stupid, silly, ignorant, and uninformed. But I think it was telling. Mm. I think the reason he felt comfortable saying something that is so obviously stupid and obviously false 
And by the way, like it's very important to me that I don't find a, a more charitable term than stupid. It's very important to me that even though I'm capable of using about 10 words instead of that, that I choose to use that one because it's absolutely stupid. If you say if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, the best word to describe what you said is stupid, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and it's insulting. And it's offensive and it should be offensive to everybody. But but the reason I think he was comfortable saying that is because it's 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 an indicator of taking black people for granted. It's a way of saying we got y'all. It's a way of saying I can be overconfident because I know that you guys always vote Democrat. I can predict how you guys are going to vote. And, and, I, and I know that you guys have already bought into the narrative that Trump is racist. Right. So as long as I'm not Trump. I can do whatever I want to do. I can say whatever I, what I, what I want to say, and I don't have to worry about you and any of your concerns and being intelligent enough to speak to your concerns intelligently. I can just say, "Hey, you know, I'm not Trump, so I already got you." Mm. That's the kind of that's the way you talk to people when you're not afraid to lose people. Mm. And I think it was a great wake up call. It's like saying, "Take yeah. it or leave it," in a way, in a yeah. weird way. Mm. And you know, I, I'm. It, it seems incredibly cavalier i agree that it's stupid but it's almost like beyond stupid in a way where where you you have to realize that if you think this election is as consequential as you're claiming that it is that you you would want to you would want the support of a group that you feel has been disenfranchised by this administration and if that's what you're claiming then i don't know man it's it's weird that we what we take for granted and by the way i think we all do this to a great extent unless we make a concerted effort you know the stoics often talk about negative visualization and and that's one thing i often you know after we talked to william irvine on on the podcast he's a, a stoic philosopher at Wright state and um yeah, the one thing he taught me out of that is uh, the the negative visualization exercise. Yeah. W- with Bex, I often just say, "Hey, thanks for existing," because yeah. Yeah. like the opposite of her existing is her being dead. And yeah. me thinking about her being dead right now makes me be really it makes me really grateful that she exists. And the opposite of what Joe Biden could have done there is saying, "Hey, I want to thank the black community for existing, and I want to show you w- that." You know, my agenda happens to be the better agenda. I actually have a you know a black agenda, as opposed to his black agenda seems to be that he happened he was a vice president for the first black president. Right, like right. that's not an agenda. Yeah, and, and, and you know for for anybody who thinks well well maybe that's a little harsh to call it stupid. I think we can make a distinction between stupid people and stupid statements. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to believe that people are stupid. I believe that people, including Joe Biden, are capable of learning from their mistakes. Um, I think he may have done a lot of damage that may be very difficult for him to come back from as far as the election is concerned. We'll see. But I think I think anybody can learn from that for sure. But I think a part of learning is being real about what we need to learn. And if we treat stupid things as if they are at the same level of sophisticated things, how will we ever value the importance of doing it the sophisticated way? Right. Like we can't motivate people to learn to do things the right way if we pretend like there's no difference between right and wrong. It was a stupid thing to say. Yeah. Let's talk about this onion headline. Yeah. <laughs> because, again, there are jokes that expose these deep truths, mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like. And the onion headline was protesters are criticized for looting businesses without forming private equity firm first. 
And the, 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 the truth in that is we applaud a Mitt Romney and a Bain Capital when they go in and, and loot a business, right, Ryan? Right. When, when, when they do it yeah, legally, right? <clears throat> but, and they, they break up these, these places for you know, parts, basically. They, they, right. they go into a, a corporation. They, they, they sort of loot the value from it. A few people get rich within a particular organization. Many people suffer through layouts or layoffs, etc. But are it, is it comparable to say that what a place like Bain Capital does legally, is it that dissimilar from rioting? Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Well, I mean, like, because one of them is violent, and the other one is, the other one is, uh, it's <clears throat> if Target was out of business, mm-hmm. and then the looters went in, mm-hmm. that seems like a fair analogy. No, no, no. But but these Bain Capital, they go into companies that aren't out of business. They are, but but they're on their last leg. Uh, maybe or maybe there's a hostile takeover that that's a yeah. thing that happens yeah. Yeah. where they're not on their last leg. But it's not an angry mob who forces in. Who comes in forces themselves in. It's a friendly mob. Violently forces everyone out. Okay, but l- let's let's take maybe uh, not all the riots are violent. I, I understand the analogy, and it is it is an apt analogy. But what um, I'm saying is yeah. that not all the riots are violent. So I agree with you. If it's violent and you're hurting other people, that is worse. But let's some of these riots are just looting, but they're not violent acts themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can make that distinction. May, is violence the inflicting bodily harm on other people? And if so, if you're not inflicting bodily harm on other people, you're just going in and looting a target. How is it different from the legalized looting that we've allowed through these these private equity firms? Yeah. So uh, Robert Greene, who um, wrote a book, The 48 Laws of Power, yeah. he, he wrote um, a book with 50, uh, 50 Cent called The 50th Law. Right. And I remember seeing Fiddy in an interview about that book, and he was talking about how he grew up on the streets and he was involved in that life. And he said when he got into the music industry, he says the kind of thuggery and gangsta in the music industry was much harder and much less predictable than what he dealt with on the streets. He says the streets was a lot easier to deal with because it was easy to figure out. It's like, don't start none, won't be none. You know, there's a there's an ethical code within the realm of all these illegal activities that people tend to honor. And, you know, there, there are effective ways to make sure you don't get shot. There are certain places you stay out of. There are certain zones you respect as not being your territory. There, there, there are certain ways you don't talk to certain people, certain things you mind your own business about, and you good and you take your chances with the rest. But in the entertainment industry, it was like the gangsters wear suits and ties. Yeah. And the gangsters not only figure out legal ways to do uh, to do bad things to people, but they also figure out ways to buy the laws through lobbyists, which is something that poor thugs, economically underprivileged thugs, don't have the ability to do. They don't have the ability to say, let's make it a full-time job to use our millions of dollars of resources, let's make it a full-time job to hire several people who work around the clock making sure that they're lobbying for laws, having Mm -hmm. conversations that the rest of the world don't even know is happening, don't even care is happening. Making sure those laws are friendly to the things we decided that we wanna do. Put money in whoever pocket you gotta put in, get the people in office that we want, 
and make sure that whatever we want to do, it doesn't become illegal. It doesn't become regulated. It doesn't become taxed. It doesn't become expensive. And this is why we have to be careful with that distinction between legality and morality, mm -hmm. because you can buy privileges that allow you to get away with things that are immoral, but technically it's legal to do, mm. right? Um, and so I, I think if we got as angry and critical at you know, the, the poor people that are out there doing riots, which, which you know, is a bad thing, um, I think, oh my gosh, the amount, of process, the, the amount of progress we make would be astounding, you know, um, if we got as mad at the uh, white collar crime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about- I agree with that. Let's talk about privilege mm. a bit. Um, there is a type of virtue signaling here as well with, with, with privilege where if people come out and they feel the need to not just admit their white privilege but denounce it every time they make a statement, sure. I, I, I feel, like, yes, I recognize that I have white privilege, but I don't know that it plays a role in, in everything that I, that I do. Mm. I, I also would say that there's so much nuance even with that. You know, go to the trailer park that Ryan lived in when he was a teenager and tell everyone there about their white privilege yeah. and they will well, laugh at you. Well, yeah, and it's interesting, though, because they still do have white privilege, though. R right. But, but, but when you're in an impoverished situation, it's hard to look at. It's the, hard to feel that privilege. It's hard to feel the privilege. And yeah. No, it's absolutely yeah, true. and and so there there are like gradations, right? Because your 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 first spouse, she had very wealthy parents. You know, they lived mm -hmm. on, on literally on the hill, right? And yeah. uh, there's this like this neighborhood and this rich neighborhood, and so like they their type of privilege was financial privilege, but also white privilege, mm -hmm. and so like all these things get tangled. And and we create this monolith where it's George Burns, and all of a sudden we. We map that on to everyone who happens to have less melanin in, in their skin. Mm. And and that is confusing to someone like me or, or Ryan. And, I, and even me, like growing up in a neighborhood, like I had the opposite of white privilege. Like I get clowned because I was like the only white kid, right? Mm, yeah, and eventually, yeah. like, like it, I did not feel privileged at all in that situation. But yeah. leaving that situation, I talked about earlier on the minimal episode, getting pulled over le way less frequently by the cops, mm -hmm. that's a type of white privilege. And, yeah, and I can acknowledge that. But I also don't think it, it, it has to season everything that, that we do. And then there's a, another fascinating thing. We talked about Charlemagne earlier, but like he wrote a book called Black Privilege. And that was, uh, in a way, not, rec not saying that like, white privilege doesn't exist, but saying that like, hey, there are certain things that I can be proud of from a heritage perspective, from a cultural perspective. And so, I don't know, what are your thoughts on privilege? We've never talked about this, TK. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, and you've never heard me out there philosophizing about white privilege or mm -hmm. arguing for its existence. Um, so it's interesting. First, a word about language. I believe there are certain terms whose meanings I actually think are quite obvious and uncontroversially true, but the terms themselves have acquired such a negative connotation mm. that, that they're almost hopeless uh, in, in, in their use as tools for, for um, intelligent, respectful discourse. You know, um, an example, for instance, you, you won't hear me arguing for capitalism, even though I actually think capitalism is a good thing. Because if you take a word like capitalism, it's got capital in it. And then you take a word like communism, it's got community in it. 
And I'm not going to ask people to choose community over capital because I'm never going to win. Right. I mean, you know, those words are just hard to to debate. And not only that, but the term capitalism has kind of become to mean not in economics textbooks, but Mm -hmm. in popular culture. It means the prioritization of things over people. Mm -hmm. And instead of me spending like two hours trying to, you know, delineate what the historical definition of the term is as economists understand it. Why don't I just change my language and and why don't I just speak of free markets? Why don't I speak of voluntary exchange and and what the benefits of that is versus an interventionist approach to, you know, to to free trade or whatever it may be. I think there's something similar going on with white privilege. So I prefer to use the word disadvantage and advantage, right? Because first of all, that just takes race out of it. That takes the, the the difficulty of understanding it. Something that we all intuitively understand and that we gather from our personal experiences is that no matter who you are, there are people that have advantages that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And there are people that have disadvantages that you don't have, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and, yeah. and, and we can have debates about what, what that means and what we do with that, but we all know that it is well and true that there are people out there that don't have to suffer in ways that we have to suffer. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there who do have to suffer in ways that we simply can't relate to. So right. advantages are real. We can also say that this disadvantage advantage distinction can be c- categorized by almost every feature that we possess. Mm. There are struggles that guys go through that women don't relate to. Sure. And there are benefits and privileges, if you will, mm-hmm. that guys have that women don't have. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, men do not walk alone at night with the same consciousness of fear that women on average tend to walk around at night with if right. they take right. Like I can go for I, I can be like, man, it was a long day. It's midnight, but I want to get this jog in. And I'm the scariest guy in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? I am the threat. I'm not worried about nothing. Like everybody's worried about me. Is that what you right? tell yourself for motivation when you're jogging? I am TK. You are the threat. He's doing the Walter White thing. I'm the one who does the knock. Black guy with a hoodie running around at midnight. Man, you scared of me, right? On the other hand, my wife isn't gonna make that decision, right? It's different for her. She's gonna be like, "Could you come with me?" or something along those lines, right? So. We can understand advantage and disadvantage. And so then the question becomes, is there any reason to think that if that distinction exists at the level of looks, at the level of money, if there's such a thing as hot guy and hot girl privilege, Mm -hmm. if there's such a thing as good dresser privilege, money privilege, should we assume that race once again is this magical thing that it doesn't apply to? so yes, I do believe in the concept advantage and disadvantage, and we can go ahead and call that privilege. And yes, I do believe that we can talk about that in a way that's racially related. So let me give an example that's really easy for most people to accept, and I'm gonna use one that reverses it so, so that it can be easy. I have a white friend who, when he first graduated college, worked in a black neighborhood. He worked like downtown Chicago, which was kind of like diverse, but he lived in an all black neighborhood. And when he would drive home from work at night for the first time in his life, he would regularly get pulled over. The reason he would regularly get pulled over is because the cops assumed, half of them black now, the cops assumed that he was in there for prostitutes or he was in the neighborhood for drugs, Mm, drugs, right? Right. Because he's a clean cut, good looking white guy 
what other reason are you going to have right. for going into a black neighborhood? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, if you're one of those people who you don't allow That's room. That's doubly racist in a way, right? <laughs> it's racist toward him, but then it's also, well, only thing that happens in black neighborhoods is prostitution and, and drugs. Yeah, Jesus. Now, 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 if you're one of those people who, if you're scared of invoking race as something that has explanatory power, you miss out on a very interesting understanding of life. Right. Like, 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 let's just set politics aside for a second. Let's not play that whole game of, oh, maybe it wasn't about race. Maybe it was his beard. Maybe it wasn't about race. Maybe. No, like we can be honest, guys. It was about race. Well, prove it, TK. Prove it. Come on, man. Like, just 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 use your common sense. Mm -hmm. It was about race. If he wasn't white, he would not be pulled over like that in the same way. It's because he was white. Now, does that mean the cops were thinking, ah, we got to get this white guy and bring him down? Mm -hmm. No. What happened is that because he was white and associations that they have with whiteness versus associations that they have with blackness, it caused them to treat him differently. In this case, they treated him worse than the other people who lived in that neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So that can happen. Now, that's not the kind of example that we hear about a lot because it's not as normal for a white person to live in predominantly black spaces in America as it is for a black person to live or work in predominantly white spaces. If you are a black person, you know what it's like to either go to school or go to work in a predominantly white space. Mm. Like you're not gonna get through life as a black person without being part of a predominantly white space at least a few times in life. You can and most likely will get through life as a white person in America without having to be a member of predominantly black spaces. So we just don't see that dynamic being distributed equally. Mm -hmm. But I think when people say white privilege, I think what they're getting at is that given the fact that everybody has a unique distribution of advantages and disadvantages, there are some advantages that tend to come along with whiteness that tend not to come along with people of color. And this doesn't require us to naively believe that it's because of a conscious effort to hold people of color down, Mm. nor does it require us to believe that this means all white people are gonna get a check for a million dollars, right? Like people who who assert the existence of white privilege, they do believe that there are white people who are losers, Mm -hmm. right? They do believe that there are white people that are stupid or whatever it may be, but they simply believe that there are certain privileges and advantages that might come along with that. So, you know, as you know, as an example, and, and this is something that you know has been brought up in terms of like riots and protests and so forth. You know, in Michigan, you had uh, people protesting at the Capitol, mm-hmm. and they had their guns, right? And 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 they were pretty upset, right? Mm-hmm. And I never understood that, by the way. Like, what are you going to do with those guns? Uh, we actually—it's a flex. It's a no, weird. I, I yeah. know, but we talked about this on on, on the podcast and. It's like okay, what 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 are you trying to imply here? I'm going to shoot the governor because they're, they're yeah no they're trying to show that like we're angry, uh, we have rights, uh, we're going to exercise those rights mm-hmm. to the point where we're going to come strapped with AR-15s on our backs because we can yeah it's, and, if, it's, and if I mean it, the implicit message is hey uh, you, there will be a revolution on, on I mean that's what that's the message yeah. you're trying to give is hey right. there's going to be a revolution on your hands. If you don't do something about this, I don't think it would ever actually get to that point. But that is, they're, they're trying to bully the government. That's exactly what it is. It's it is a it is a flex bullying move, is what that was. Well, 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 one can make a charitable case that that they were just there to make sure it was understood that we respect our rights. 
We're not going to be silent. Mm-hmm. You, you as the state, work for us, and we're going to hold you accountable, right? And 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 they were, relatively speaking, they were peaceful, right? They were loud. Maybe they made some folks uncomfortable, but they didn't shoot anybody. They didn't take anybody. Yeah, they didn't lives. loot anything. Yeah, right. Yeah, but what you didn't hear was any story about any of those people that got shot or hurt because someone feared for their life. Now, you are free to believe that race had nothing to do with that. But as for me and my house, I'm not participating in that. Oh, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking my chances on that. Hell no. We, we had a text I'm, chain, and, and the very first thing, I, when Sean first sent that article, I said, can you imagine if the guys who showed up with guns were black? Yeah. Be a totally different totally different scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this it, is this is the whole reason Reagan got rid of guns in California was because of uh, Black Panthers started walking around with you know, AR-15s or equivalents, and, and, and all of a sudden... Oh well, it was fine for us to have yeah, yeah. to to have guns when it was law-abiding citizens, but when it's it, it's like well, when the black guys have guns, well, well, we're, we're kind of scared. I'm mm-hmm. I'm always amazed, like like astonished by by stories of like these white guys who, um, one example, the the Batman movie, where the white guy was in the theater. And, and he was shooting already, mm. and some people thought it was part of the movie yeah. and stuff yeah. like that, right? right. That and, and 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 this is kind of like a common theme where you have these these shooters, um, where they are white. You're it, right about that. I mean, almost exclusively. Well, well yeah. but here's what's interesting to me as a black man is it, it always takes several minutes for people for it to register for people that this guy is a criminal and he's doing something bad. And by the time it, it's registered, this guy has worked his way deep into the environment mm-hmm. yeah. where he is well positioned to do a ton of damage, right? right? As a black dude, I don't know what it's like to be that accounted for. Mm-hmm. As a black dude, I don't have five minutes. If I wanted to go somewhere and commit a crime, I don't have five minutes. The moment I walk through the door, I am acknowledged within yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. And, and my existence is accounted for. People know where I'm at and what I'm up to. Now, here's the thing. When, you know, I've made this kind of observation before, and it's almost laughable. I, I, I made this kind of observation uh, in a conversation with someone who asked me if I thought things, these kinds of things existed. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And then I gave some examples of it. And they, they got upset and said, you're making excuses you're blaming white people for your problems. And I said, hold up, I'm happier than you. I've never complained to you and I never will. Mm -hmm. You complain to me all the time. You come to me for advice. Mm -hmm. When have I ever told you that I'm unhappy? When have I ever told you I'm not happy with the results that I'm creating? Like, I'm fine. I'm not blaming white people for anything. I'm simply expressing an idea about how I observe the world and patterns that we can notice and, and how the world shows up differently for people. Yeah. But, but this is the confusion of that you live idea. In, you live in a different world than what Josh and I live in. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's, no different from, it's no different from my buddy trying to hit on a girl and the girl laughs at him, you know, and, and, me, being, and me being like, yeah, dude, like uh, you ain't got enough money for that girl. Or me being like, yeah, dude, like you, you need to, you need to fix yourself up. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to get a girl like that to pay attention to you. Does am I making that guy feel like a victim? Do we feel like a victim? Like, do we feel mm-hmm. like we have some sort of right to that girl's attention, or are we just mm-hmm. trying to understand what's happening in our experience with causal explanations so that we can make more informed decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, aren't I, I, you... I, I personally don't believe in a victim philosophy. No, no, no. no but, I, but at some point, you can be. You don't have to 
to play the victim to right. be a victim. And, and you don't have to play a big victim to acknowledge that there are that, that you're there being are disadvantaged. Yeah, it's, to me, I, I believe that one of the biggest keys to being successful is being ruthlessly honest with yourself about where your advantages don't exist. To me, it's very important that I know that I don't look like Brad Pitt. Now, if I were to say that, people would be like, oh, TK, you look fine in your own way too. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm not being hard on myself. It's very important to my success that I understand I am not going to walk into a room and command a certain amount of attention because of this like unmatched physical beauty. Yeah. And, and that that helps me be informed in the decisions that I make. That actually makes me better off. It doesn't make me a victim. Doesn't make me feel bad. Doesn't make me bitter that there's a hot guy privilege that I don't get to participate in. You know what I mean? It's just about being informed. And and, and I think some people react to to the concept of white privilege defensively as if someone's saying, if you're white, you have it easier in every area of life, mm -hmm. or if you're white, you owe me an apology, or you owe me some money. But there or are some people who say that. Uh, let, let's acknowledge that, and they're very loud on social media, but I think in real life, they're outliers. I, I don't know any of my, my black friends who are, who are gonna be like, you owe me something as a white person. Right. But but there are some people on social media. Now, would they say this in real life? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I I, I don't know. I don't encounter these people frequently in, in person who would say something like that. But um, there are some people who have an unrealistic expectation. But guess what? Yeah. People have unrealistic expectations about everything sure, in life. Sure. <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed to do? Address all of their unrealistic expectations? Yeah. Here, here, here's a recipe to be miserable, TK. Try to address everyone's expect. Try to meet everyone's yeah. expectations. Just look at your Facebook friends and try to meet all of their expectations. Yeah. 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 You will fail miserably at that experiment. Yeah. And, and one, one other thought about this too is, um, it's common to say, well, okay, but what's the point of like singling out white privilege? What's the point of that? I mean, uh, if you just admit that everybody's got advantages and disadvantages, why why don't we talk about, uh, you know, female privilege? Why don't we talk about, you know, black privilege? And, and it goes back to like the story that I mentioned about my friend. We can say that I gave you a good example of what black privilege might look like, but we can also say because of certain likelihoods about the spaces where people are, that's just not a systemic problem. That's just not the type of thing that happens enough for there to be a large contingent of people complaining that mm. this is hindering their experience, right? Even that friend I told you about, he moved out of that neighborhood, right? They, 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 like if you said, I'm gonna form a political party or a group for white people that live in black neighborhoods and they're tired of black privilege, you're not gonna get enough signups right. to make a dent, right? right. So. so when people talk about this concept, they're usually talking about it in relationship to specific things where black people are experiencing a unique set of disadvantages. And oftentimes, when black people get together to talk about their disadvantages, and I know direct experience because I've talked, I've been in conversations with brothers where we talk about the different treatment that we get. We talk about it in a way where we affirm each other. Mm -hmm. We talk about it in a way where we give each other ideas for how to effectively create the results that we want in spite of the BS that we have to go through. We never sit around talking about, oh, um, you know, what can, what can we get white people to do for us? Mm -hmm. You know, and, right. and, and, and this goes back to what we said earlier. The direction the conversation goes in all changes when you respond to what people say with curiosity rather than when you, you know, react to whatever connotation you may have attached to it. That's where yeah. I stand on the privilege discussion. Yeah. When this whole riot thing started, my wife 
reached out to a friend of hers who happens to be a black woman who she does some uh, uh, health coaching with together. They, they, they work on some projects together. And all this was going on and sort of this little play for solidarity, like made a, a, a comment on one of her Instagram posts like, hey, as a white woman who's relatively un- uninformed on, on these things, you know, she's a white woman who grew up on a farm in Minnesota. Um, and she's like, I'm relatively uninformed about these things. What do you what do you recommend someone like me do? And someone else butts in on this is why the social media thing is so toxic yeah. someone else butts in and says you know it's not black people's responsibility to um uh you need to do the work on your own stop laying your your problems and your guilt on other black people and bex in a way it felt to me like a, a type of of what what we were just uh, talking about this term earlier which it's a weird term reverse racism because i don't think that's a, a thing right like i think it's Certainly possible, but it's possible. Isn't racism be, just racism? Racism though? is racism. Yeah. Uh, the, we could call it. We could be more specific. We could say it's racism against a, a white person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or racism toward any uh, race well, or ethnicity. There is, is a distinction here that could help. I don't want to derail. This okay, Let, well, let's make the distinction. Mm-hmm. So, for for the, for the purpose of being able to participate in the conversations that are happening and knowing what's going on not for the purpose of me declaring what the law is for how you have to use words i don't care how you use words i just care that i understand you but there there has been some controversy surrounding the idea that only white people can be racist yeah and wherever that has been said you know people flip out like you're out of your mind clearly everybody can be racist and there is a sense in which everybody can be racist sure this all comes down to just a distinction when people say that there's often a distinction made between being racially prejudiced or discriminatory and being racist. To be racially prejudiced is to harbor negative attitudes and feelings towards others just based on race. If I said I hate white people, that would make me a racially prejudiced person and we are all equal in our capacity to exhibit that. To say that someone is racist, as it is often used in these discussions, is to say that this is someone who is racially prejudiced but also possesses economic and political power that enables you to marginalize, oppress, or inconvenience other people Mm. based on those attitudes. So it's racial prejudice plus power, Mm -hmm. right? So if if I have the ability to get you arrested because I don't like your whiteness, that would be making you the victim of racism, Mm -hmm. whereas racial prejudice it's it, it's a matter of just like it's a purely psychological thing right yeah. and and many white people are in a position where they are just racially prejudiced but they don't have any power you know there are a lot of bigots at, well, all over the place right but you know you, you think of the stereotypical bigot who's you know trying to burn a cross in someone's yard or whatever right. like and they may may not possess actual power but they have uh, an animus towards someone because they have more melanin in their skin and really there's a really deep-seated insecurity yeah. there um, we could we could go on a, a completely separate tangent about racism being yeah. m- merely is merely insecurity and nothing more than that um, at, at its core I believe yeah. that um, now there are all kinds of nuances stacked on top of that but I think yeah. it ultimately all boils down all hate and rage um, boils down to some sort of insecurity there now some of those insecurities if you feel a certain amount of rage can be legitimate uh, insecurity like I literally don't feel insecure I, I literally don't feel secure so I have to react with the, some sort of force or something but most of the time there's just this deep-seated 
uh, homegrown insecurity. And so uh, the distinction you make there, uh, while I, you know, I can recognize it. And so maybe in this case with, with Bex, the person was being racially prejudiced against a white person Mm -hmm. and saying, don't, lay your your don't lay the work that you need to do on a black person as sure, though sure. as though like we can't even have a conversation about something like this i'm sure by the way that person would say that about me like i'm sure, going to talk sure. to my friend tk you and i've never had a conversation we've had uh, so many conversations yeah. we've never had a conversation about race ever yeah, yeah. it's never never even come up sure. but it felt it felt prudent to do at a moment like this yeah. and and so when we're having this conversation, I'm sure the same person would have said, hey, don't lay your problems on. It's not TK's job to do the work you need to do deep down inside to to extinguish your racist I don't even tendencies. Know what that, I don't even know what that means. Well, that's the thing. It, it To me, it's the best way. I, I mentioned this earlier. The, the best way for Richard Spencer to recruit racists is to hire a person like her. To, because at some point, if, if I could see how you could actually, she is probably converting people into racist tendencies. Like, oh my God. Like, because it's a convert, it shuts down a conversation every time. If you're saying you shouldn't even talk to black people, well, wait a minute. I shouldn't talk to black people? Like, wait, right. a- I, should, I shouldn't ask what, yeah, I shouldn't ask what, I shouldn't ask black people's opinions. I should figure it out on my own. Like, yeah. So, yeah. what is the charitable? what's the charitable viewpoint to someone like this? Because I can't understand to a certain yeah. extent where it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's up to TK to have a solution for white people. Right. But also I think it's up to us as human beings to be able to have these conversations. Is there a charitable explanation to all of this? Yeah. Yeah. There, 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 there's a charitable interpretation for everything. Okay. Even things that we find objectionable and disagree with. Uh, and, and that is the key to creating change wherever we are able to create it. Just because we're being charitable doesn't mean we're gonna reach that person, but if, we are, if we're ever gonna reach someone, it's gonna be because we're speaking to them from the place they stand rather than merely from the place we see them. There's always a deeper understanding to be had. I, I think the charitable interpretation of that is something along the lines of saying, hey, instead of taking the easy way out of just asking me a question, why, why don't why don't you work for the understanding like why, why, why don't you know it, it's, it's kind of like um, here's a good example when someone dies it's almost always worthless to be like hey is there anything I can do mm. like when you're talking to the family right it, it's almost yeah. always more effective to just do something even mm. if it's wrong mm. and don't put that on them mm. right D- don't be like hey you know is there anything I can do for you guys what are they going to say right. they're in distress you know they're heartbroken they've got a whole bunch of other things to think about just yeah. go get some flowers just go get a book you think they like go buy a gift card from Starbucks even if it's the wrong thing it's the thought that counts anyway and be like hey here was something that I wanted to do just as a gesture to let you know that you guys are on my mind and I send my condolences right here's there, some there, mindless consumption here's some flowers <laughs> right 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 <laughs> But, but there are circumstances where people don't want to be asked to do the work of coming up with an idea for how you can help them or make them feel better. Yeah. They just want you to, to do the work, to take a creative risk, and, and, and just try to show yeah. that you're trying in, in a way that's willing to put yourself out there. I think that's the charitable interpretation. That doesn't mean that that is an effective way to communicate 
to someone that's coming to you with that question. Mm -hmm. And that also doesn't mean that, you know, I feel any pressure to give the universal black defense for that response because it's a lot of black people, including me, who would not respond that way? No, I, I, I would never. Ask I, I love to give you books to read. Like you know what I mean. Like if you come to me being like, "Yo, what can I read about any topic?" I'm I'm gonna stop whatever I'm doing mm -hmm. and put like an hour of work in for you because I love to give you stuff to read, no matter what it's about. So, but going back to your point about social media too, I think. I think people say a lot of things on social media that they wouldn't say in real life because the cost is so cheap. Mm -hmm. There's no skin in the game. Half these people don't even use their real names or their use, real photos. Mm -hmm. there, there's no system for identity verification even when they do use a normal sounding name mm -hmm. and a normal looking photo. Uh, there are lots of bot accounts. There are lots of people who use other people's pictures and there isn't a great system of verification unless you're a celebrity. Mm -hmm. um, so many people feel bold with trying out new ways of communicating or with let blowing off some steam or talking smack in a way that they wouldn't do in physical space that's attached to their real identity. Why? Because there are risks to their relationships, their employment, and a host of other things, the relationship they have to their community. And so you gotta be careful with how you read into social media experiences. And sometimes it's important to log off and, and go talk to people in the real world about some of the more sensitive things. I think social media, there's something that it does well but there are other things that it just doesn't do as well. Yeah, and, and that's that's to a great extent what I told Baxley. I think you were asking the right question of the right person via the wrong medium. Mm. Like you, you could either DM her, send her a text message, mm. make a phone call, and, and I think you know, while while Bex ha had the right intention there, if you're opening up this conversation, like like Ryan and I are doing right now with you, we're opening this conversation. People can go on our Patreon account mm -hmm. or on when we did the minimal up, so they can get on our YouTube channel and they can say whatever they want. Well, you know it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with Be Bex did not intend this. I don't. I'm sure she didn't intend this, but the girl who responded to her probably might have seen it as like oh look at this white person virtue signaling mm -hmm. look at this white person oh look, look at this karen yeah exactly <laughs> look at this karen look look uh, uh let me tell you something karen yeah, yeah. well here's the white girl that wants her picture with all the little black children yeah, in africa you want your photo op you want me to get that to you that's exactly. what you're looking for? yeah right yeah. And, and i mean that's like the 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 worst the least charitable interpretation as well right and we, th this mm -hmm. I, I there was a piece of me there's like there's always this Schadenfreude that I have to check in my mind because there has been this moment where we've over we've overcorrected and and the male or the the white privilege turned into white male privilege yeah. right yeah. white and, now it's white male cis no, cis white male privilege right now thankfully <laughs> us white males were strong enough to take it uh, no but like it's weird I don't even like I mean I clearly I know I'm a white male but mm -hmm. like I. I don't identify that way in any way except for my driver's license because I, uh, I there's no there's no share. We talked about this earlier, the shared uh, oppression or, or shared system. Like I, I identify much more as a Daytonian than I do as a white male. I, I identify m much more <laughs> as like a person of German heritage, although I don't like to admit that in public because of you're just. You're, if I feel like you're just repeating yourself, Daytonian, <laughs> German. <laughs> well, I mean, Dayton's forty five percent black. So. <laughs> okay, fair um, but you know, I, I can create a context within which that would be experienced, and that could be sort of an enlightening thing. So I, I think you you are conscious of your uh, of the features of your identity 
to the degree that you experience them as a contrast to the perceived norm, right? right? So if you were to come with me to my family reunion, and, and you were you lived in a black neighborhood, so it wouldn't be as dramatic for you, but if I were to bring one of my white friends who's never been like the only white person in the room and bring them to my father's church in Chicago on the west side, or bring them to my family reunion where you're around hundreds of all black people, yeah. right? You're the only white person there, just give it five minutes, and you're gonna feel the need to make some kind of joke or some kind of comment about you know being the the you know the sore thumb or whatever it may be, right? Mm. And, 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 it, and it won't be a, a negative thing to say or do, mm-hmm. but but it's revelatory because it it lets us know exactly what conditions are required in order for us to identify with certain features. I don't think of myself so much as a man as much as I just think of myself as a person, but you take me to a party and it's all women there, right. I'm gonna be looking for that other dude. And when You're I right. see him, I'm gonna be like, hey man, it's me and you, right? right? Me and you. You're right. Yeah, and you have that heightened awareness. And I think that's, I think that's an important thing, you know, because when, when we look at why black people seem to make so many things about race, it's because for most black people, their race is a continual contrast to the perceived norm. When mm-hmm. we watch TV, when we look at billboards, we are always experiencing ourselves as the other. When I went to South Africa, one of the craziest things for me, I was in... Uh, um, Were there a lot of African-American I was in South Soweto. <laughs> I was in African-American South Africa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is actually true. <laughs> Damn. But when I was in Soweto, it was crazy. I, I, I don't think I ever noticed this, but I saw billboards... Like, okay, let's say if it's a billboard for toothpaste yeah. and it's like a, a, a family, the family was black, uh-huh. right? When I went into the school and we were looking through like catalogs, you know, the people in the catalogs were all just black. It wasn't like Holly Berry, mm. right? It, 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 it wasn't Gabrielle Union. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't LeBron. It was like just regular black people who weren't celebrities. It's the mm, same way yeah. that I see white people all the time, right? right? That toothpaste billboard, that movie theater billboard, all whiteness. And it was, I was like, like UPN whoa. everywhere. It was like UPN <laughs> everywhere, brother. I was like, whoa, I'm so normalized out here. Yeah. Mm. It felt so weird to see myself, to experience myself, not as a contrast to the perceived norm, but as part of the background. That was mm. that was really weird for yeah, me. Yeah, in a weird way, I I identify more as a part of the perceived norm than I do as a <laughs> as a as a white male. It, it, because like, and I I'm able to recognize that because of of, of so many years of of, not, of being sort of outside of the the, the perceived norm. But um, th- there was we were on this this Karen topic, and what I found fascinating is like I I knew it like the, the, there was a demonization of white males as though it, it, it became this like pejorative thing especially on social media right mm-hmm. where where there's no nuance and and I, I laughed it off because I didn't see it in real life like I, it was amplified in, in, in certain spaces yeah. but those yeah. are spaces that I don't tend to frequent anyway so sure. and, and I think it was blown out of proportion quite a bit but there were certainly those elements where yeah. being a cis white male yeah. was, was was considered to be um, a, a bad thing, well, a negative, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Well, and it's associated. It's associated with like uh, I don't know, like in the White House where you've got women's rights being decided, and it's a bunch of straight old white dudes in a room. Yes, and that's yeah. a problem. It, it, it and does. guess what? We look like that. You and I look like that. So mm-hmm. when people see us, they associate us with the problem. And, yeah. and yeah, I mean, and I can recognize that. Yeah. Well, you, we, we become a mirror of the problem. But but yeah. here's here's the thing. So it it actually trans formed from white privilege to white male privilege, right? right? And then you started seeing white women talking about 
white male privilege. Right. Like, wait a minute. Don't try to get out of this. Right. Right. And I was like, <laughs> like, hold on, hold up, Karen. <laughs> no, well, that, that's the thing. I, I, I remember when I started seeing that around 2017-ish. So, yeah. And I, I, just, oh, yeah. I just sat back and laughed. And I said, oh, you don't realize it's going to come for you next. Right. And you're not equipped for it because you're on the, you're throwing stones and you don't realize the stones are getting ready to be thrown at you, yeah. Karen. Yeah. And here's the problem with that. Like, I don't actually feel that way. I don't actually feel like you know, white women are Karens or, no. or, or whatever. No. But, but the women who were throwing the stones at, at again, yeah. very, very small, yeah. very vocal minority. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but when you started seeing white women talking about white male privilege, you knew it was coming for them right. next. Yeah. And by the way, It'll be TK soon because it'll be like you know the the male privilege that he has. Right. Oh, but the, but these arguments and discussions are are, are happening. Right. right. I'm saying. Yeah. That, I'm yeah. saying right. right. But it will yeah. reach a a a, sure, sure. a boiling point where sure. it boils over and it becomes part of the zeitgeist where sure. where it's not Karen, it's Tyrone. Sure. Right. Sure. Um. And, and all of a sudden it becomes you know the, these memes. Right. You know, back in 2014 it, we were called Chads or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like and and uh, <laughs> what's the which, I'm, I'm thinking of now. It's uh, there, there are Kyles. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, but is Kyles it, are like it's Kyle and Karen. There's yeah, there's Kyle, okay. which it's like a redneck drinks monsters, has big trucks. Well, um, the weird thing yeah. is like <clears throat> I know several really masculine black men named Chad, like Chad Johnson. Mm. Uh, yeah. And so like I don't know why that worked. Like you could have picked names like Chet or Ethan. Those would have worked way better. Right, right, right. right. But uh, here yeah. we are with uh, with Chad and Chad and, 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 and Karen or or, or whatever. Yeah. I, the only th- thing I really feel bad for is women actually named Karen. Like I right. feel really bad if your name's Karen. Like what a bad. Uh, set of cards. All I can say is this will blow over. Yeah. Um. It's a social media meme. Be proud that your name is Karen. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. Maybe change it you know, for a, a week. No. Or two. No. <laughs> by, by the way, I think I think this is a good segue for like the, what you you were talking about, Richard Spencer. I know you brought his name up. I don't know what yeah. what you wanted to discuss, but this would be exa- an example of, of 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 some white people feeling the need to say I love my whiteness. You know, to go back to the discussion that we had before about. I love my blackness, that whole thing. So mm-hmm. some people have 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 really felt that. That okay, I'm a white male, I'm being attacked, I'm being demonized, I'm being held up as everything that's evil about society. Right. Now, I I think some of that is anytime you have occupied a position where you are you move from being the least criticized member of a society. Mm-hmm to being um, equally criticized or perhaps more criticized, that really does feel traumatic, mm. right? That, that and, and so I, I don't discount that that's part of it. But another part of it is- It feels is, traumatic if you let it feel traumatic. Sure, sure. But another part of it is, especially in, in, in some academic circles, and by the way, I don't think things that are threats in academia are necessarily things that are threats in the real world. Like you know how I feel about the insulated you know, um, Toyland society that is academia. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think those two are the same. I, I don't think you should look to what's happening in academia as an indicator for where society is going. Um, it's usually the other way around. Academia mm-hmm. is usually in the process of being left behind and then they'll catch up a generation later to where society has went because society moves much faster than the bureaucratic nature of academic institutions. But there, there are a lot of environments like that 
where those discussions are being had and people are people are hearing white privilege white privilege oh i'm everything that's wrong with society they're internalizing that and they're saying okay we we have to reclaim our sense of it's okay to be white mm. now now mm. as you're hearing me say this understand that it's my job to represent whatever the view may be as accurately and charitably as i can because that's how we figure out how we engage that point of view um i'm i'm not on a mission to uh, try to convince white males um, that whiteness is beautiful. I am on a mission to convince as many people as I possibly can to embrace the, the, beauty of, the beauty of their divinity, no matter what their color is. But black dreams are, are, are the dreams that keep me awake at night. I'm, I'm moved by the plight of young black men. Uh, I believe that young black men are discounted and, and dismissed. And you know, I, I believe that if a young white man goes up and shoots a bunch of people, we're going we're gonna to immediately have a national discussion about how we failed him. Mm. We're going to have a national discussion about mental health. Mm. And every day, you know, you got black guys on the street shooting each other, and that's just what thugs do. That's just what they do, right? Um, but I want those conversations about mental health in black communities. Because clearly I, I, it's a mental health problem on both yeah, sides. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And when we discount it on, on either side, and and attribute it to whiteness or blackness or yeah. or, or whatever it it you know we, we often talk about simplifying things but we don't talk about making things simplistic and there's a difference simple yeah. isn't simplistics simple means to unweave something the, the latin root simplex right it just means a, a, a we a strand of one and, and uh, complex to complex something means to yeah. interweave two or more things together. And to, to make something simplistic means to just strip it down and, and oversimplify something. And that's, that's what we do when we say, well, yeah. he shot the guy because he was black. And that's what, that's what thugs do. Or that's what white people do. They shoot up schools. Yeah, it happens to be a lot of these, if not all, but the vast majority of these these shooters uh, are are white people. That doesn't mean that white people shoot up schools. It means there's a mental health issue that often leads many uh, some white people to do that. There are mental health issues also in the black community. It's not relegated only to mental health on both sides either. Though either it, there are there are circumstances yeah. in both communities, if we want to call them that, yeah. that that lead someone to to doing that. Yeah. And and the answer isn't, well, because we call black people thugs, we should just call the white person a thug right. or a terrorist. Yeah, okay. I can understand the natural desire to want to do that. Yeah. That makes things equal. If you tear down all the buildings, then we're all standing on equal ground. We just don't have any buildings. We all have the shortest buildings in town, yeah. or we can work on building the buildings up. Yeah, we want we want equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And and you know, to to, to that point, really quickly, I just want to clarify this. You know, when I say black dreams keep me awake at night, and I'm not on a mission to like convince white guys that it's okay to be white, it's because I believe that there are plenty of great white male role models already out there, right? Um, and I believe that if I were to drop dead right now, 
I, I don't I don't believe white men would be any worse off in terms of having good examples of great communicators, great authors, great business people. They've got generations of it, you know, and, and they've got thousands of people like that today. Um, they've got you guys. They've got Elon Musk. They've got tons of people. Um, some people are going to say, why would you pick Elon Musk? Just pick your favorite white male that you admire. But he's right? African-American. <laughs> <laughs> he is too, isn't he? He's born in South Africa. That's, that's hilarious. That's, um, hilarious. that's amazing. <laughs> but, but, but I do feel that, that there is a shortage of black male role models, of black men yeah. that, that, are, that are stepping up and saying, hey, here's somebody that looks like you. Here's somebody that comes from the spaces you've come from. Mm. And, and I am a testimony to you to say that it's possible, that it's possible. And some people may not value that, and that's okay. I'm not here to convince people who don't value it that they ought to value it. I'm here to live out my values. What I know and what I have learned in my experience in education is that people don't respond to abstract teaching. They don't respond to you ought to do this, you ought to believe in that, you ought not to do that. People respond to stories of people who resonate with them stories about people who did the impossible. That's what makes people say, I too can do the impossible. You don't just walk up to people and say, hey man, just follow your dreams. You can do it. You walk up to people and you say, hey, here's a guy from your neighborhood who made it out and did these amazing things and came out and built a school and did this and did that. And that's what makes people open their eyes and say, yeah, I can do that. And I just don't believe that people of color are in a place in this country where we're just inundated with examples of folks who look like us, mm -hmm. who are playing the character in the movie that the action hero is almost getting himself killed over to save. Besides Whitney Houston, we don't really have much of that. You know, besides Whitney Houston and the bodyguard, we just don't have a whole bunch of movies mm -hmm. of some action hero, some good looking dude almost getting himself killed to save a black woman. So let's get some of those movies out there. And I'm not asking for a law. I'm not asking for anything from white people. I'm expressing a passion about motivating other people who share this conviction like, hey, let's, let's create some possibilities so we can, we, we can solve this problem in the gap. This is why I would love to talk with somebody like um, Ruben, somebody like Larry Elder, because I believe not merely the existence of systemic racism, but the mere debate over its existence is one of the best arguments for the libertarian philosophy that these guys uh, espouse. Mm. Um, I think it's the wrong direction to attack uh, the debate or to attack the people who, the philosophy of the people who claim to believe in the existence of it. I think the right direction is to pull people in and say, hey man, your intuition serves you correctly You when you feel like you are being systematically oppressed. Let me show you what the source of that really is. Mm. Yeah. Man, I think that's a great place to end it. Um, TK, I want to encourage people to check out yeah, man. Uh, Revolution of One, fee.org slash Rev One. We'll put a link to your website, your Twitter, your Instagram in the show notes. You're always just wonderful to have on. Appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship. I love you, man. Hey, love you guys, man. Love Talk people. Use things, man. Love people. <laughs> use things. <laughs> All right, y'all. See you, patrons. Thanks, patrons. The Minimalists. <laughs>